Hello, Regeneration. Uh, personally, this continues to feel like a very heavy week for me. Past Tuesday, it was really great to have quite a few of you join us in prayer. That was a really, really encouraging time. Uh, even met a new brother joining us from Alabama, so that was neat. Um, last week, we talked about being together, and I know we're together in spirit, but it just doesn't seem that things have improved all that much, and in some ways, this week even feels heavier than last week. We're still in the middle of this pandemic with really um, nothing positive ahead just keeps showing like the numbers are getting worse. Still in the middle of this injustice and there's still fear, there's still layoffs and there's just the personal things of life that continue to go on with loss of loved ones and challenging relationships. And even through all of this challenge and difficulty, we still know as Christians that we're going to be okay because God is still on the throne. And even though it feels awful at times, we still know who God is even in our dark times. That God's good news is greater than our bad news, that we can bring our burdens to God who can handle all of our heaviness. I find that 1 John chapter 4 is quite timely for us today. John writes that God is love and how we so badly need this reminder of who God is. Our God who doesn't hide from our crisis, doesn't hide from our pandemic, who has been present in the most evil of times, that he has seen much, much worse than what we're going through now, that God has a history of deliverance, a history of healing, that he has already walked with many people through pandemics and injustice, through their lament, through their suffering, trial, struggle, pains, fear, that he's love. The realities we face can be really, really consuming, but our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, verse 29 says, God is a consuming fire. God is bigger than what we face. King David wrote in Psalm chapter 34, verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together, to make the Lord bigger, to magnify him, not magnify our problems, but to magnify the Lord. And we can even, with our current broken hearts, we can even feel this sick and tiredness for how things are. So how can we move forward? How can we see the Lord bigger? And why can we? Because this isn't God's first time in dealing with the darknesses of the world. That God has dealt with many evils in the past, deals with them now, will deal with them in the future. And the Bible is full, full of what God has dealt with before. That God set free the slaves from Egypt that he's healed countless broken hearts, like the widow in Nain, whose son died. That God's goodness is credible, and there is an entire history of it throughout his word. If you doubt, 
you are listening to this message right now. And some of you may be thinking that this isn't God's goodness for us. That it seems so much more like a curse. But you're listening to this message today about how God is love. And you are in the presence of his love. If you are at all familiar with the Bible, you know that God is able to deliver, to heal, to make right. You know that evil wins these small battles, but it doesn't win the ultimate war. And so we can be hit with famines and pandemics and genocides as we have throughout world history, but they don't win. We have a historic event that proves God has already won. And it was when salvation was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. The evil does not win. Darkness does not win. And if you know the Bible, you already know how this all ends. We can live through what we're experiencing today because we already know the end. And there's this great confidence when you already know the outcome. During Lent, we looked at lamentations, and it was a really horrible time for God's people, that even the days ahead were going to be really horrible for them, and there was no end in sight for them, and it's recorded this in Lamentations 3, starting in verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In the middle of their darkness, they knew what they experienced was not just going to be over anytime soon. That the next morning they woke up, or they, that they, they would see that they were still in this misery. But they knew ultimately that the evil one will not win. It may feel like it, but they knew how the story ends. We know how the story ends. Jesus comes back. We're in the presence of God who is love. And so imagine walking without God in a time like this. Imagine not having love in a time like this. Chaos, discord, hatred. And God opens our eyes to who he is. Love. He empowers us to love even in the darkest times. Even in times of hate, he equips us to bring light to dark places, to bring good news to times of evil. One of the reasons it may seem that we're losing this fight is that we show up to these spiritual fights in the flesh. We fight spiritual battles with the flesh when we need to show up in the spirit. When people show up in the flesh to fight spiritual battles, they're going to lose. I thank God for those of you who faithfully pray with us. Tuesday nights with your home groups, these Sunday services, with your households, during Bible studies, to, to fight spiritually with God who is love. What we do to fight injustice must be driven by love, by God who is love. Last week we briefly looked at Genesis 3 and 4. And we considered three questions that God asked Adam and Eve and Cain. He asked, where are you? Where is your brother? And what have you done? 
I'd like us to revisit Genesis 3 again. And so let's just read Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? We're told that the evil one is more crafty. And he has people questioning God. Did God actually say, questioning God's word, God's goodness, his sufficiency? Now, there's actually nothing wrong with questioning. Last week, John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. It's a good thing for us to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. But even in the testing, do we know we have the God of abundance? God who is love, God who is sufficient, God who is good, who is secure in that he is open to our questions. And when we test the spirits, we will respond in these difficult times in love, in the spirit, not in the flesh. How do we respond in the flesh? Looking back to Genesis 3, we talk to serpents. How often do we talk to serpents when God is right here? Why do we talk to serpents when we can talk to God? Are we processing the injustice, our anger, with snakes, with serpents, when God is right here with us? How do you know you're conversing with serpents rather than God? You see, vengeance is of the flesh. Love is of the spirit. The flesh will bring us into bondage. The spirit will set us free. And we're in no way ignoring what is happening in our world today, but we can't let our anger turn into hatred. Psalm chapter 4 Verses 1 through 4. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry. 
and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. When God asks us, where are you? It's not because he doesn't know where you and I are. God is giving us the opportunity to tell him where we are. He gives us the dignity, the opportunity to be truth tellers. He gives us the dignity, the opportunity to confess so that our communion continues to be strong and God meets us where we're at. When we tell lies, we reject communion with God. And yet even then, evil still does not win. We already know God wins, evil loses, but the thing that our lies, our flesh, our inability to discern between the spirit of God and the spirit of Antichrist, what that can do is what it can do to you personally, individually. We know that in the end God wins, but to you individually, it can actually take you out. And since God is love, love wins. But if we talk to serpents who can mislead us, we're walking a really dangerous path. We need to talk, we need to walk to God who is love. And not just point to love without acknowledging God who is love. Love without God is talking to the serpent, the wisdom of the world, the spirit of the Antichrist. Let's not forget He is more crafty. He will even use what appears to be good in the world, because the world listens to worldly wisdom, to mislead God's children. So don't forget, he's more crafty. Test the spirits to see whether they are indeed from God. Know whether it is the spirit of God or the spirit of Antichrist. And one of the key ways to do that is through the word of God. So let's look at the word of God. Why did John write this letter? 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Within John's letter, he addressed various topics from this main topic in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. And so we're, we're going to look specifically at the topic of love today. And let's start with looking at 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So now here we are in 1 John chapter 4. And John addresses love again. And he starts with this exhortation in verse 7 of chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Why should we love? Well, according to chapter 2, it's a commandment. And then when we get into chapter 3, it's 
proof that we're abiding in God and that we possess eternal life. That it's, it's a proof. And then when we get to chapter 4, it's not just a commandment. It's not just a proof of abiding in God and that we know we have eternal life. It's also because love is the very essence of who God is. Take a look at verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So, is every sign of love displayed evidence of genuine spiritual life and reality? And we have to keep in mind, he is more crafty. But still, we need to think this through, that if God is the source of all love, then every expression of love found in humanity must ultimately be sourced in God, since God is love. Whenever we see love in humanity, it must be traced back to God. Therefore, loving relationships in non-Christians, that just must be God's common grace to everyone. We're all made in the image of God. And we all have the propensity, the capacity to love. So everyone can express love and the source is from God. This is not the same as saying that everyone is born of God and knows God. And here, John is writing to believers, those born of God who know God. John is writing about the love between those of the family of faith and, and a mark of spiritual fellowship. People who love this way prove of being born of God, and those who don't love this way reveal themselves not to belong to God's family. Now, there are three types of love in the Bible. One is eros, where we get the word erotic. It's describing the physical dimension of love, and it has been described as the love that takes. Then the second is phileo, where we get the, the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And this has been described as a love of giving and taking. And then there's agape. A self-giving love, which is described as a love that gives. Agape is God's nature. Our love for each other stems from being born of God, and therefore this is to be in our nature because we are to resemble God as his children. It shouldn't be a surprise to people how we love because of who our Father is. So we have to ask, who did we come from? And if we claim to come from God, is there a resemblance? And if there isn't, then is he really your, your father? 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. As partakers of of the divine nature, we have to, we must love. Loveless Christians can't be children of God because there is no resemblance to their father because God is love. Something is seriously wrong with the Christian who lacks love. 
but we have to test. What else is God? Here we're told God is love, but where else are we told what God is? Take a look at John chapter 4, verse 24. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Hebrews 12, verses 28 through 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. These are four essential beings of God. These aren't developed qualities of God. That, this is who God is. He didn't have to work at getting good at these things. That God is spirit. God is a consuming fire. God is light. God is love. This is what the Gnostics just couldn't believe. They couldn't believe that God is love. They believed that God was immaterial. So believing that God is spirit is easy. Believing that God is light is easy. But they just couldn't accept that God is love. And it's the same thing that some people do today in that they pick and choose what God is and what God isn't. And we can't do that. God is these things. He is spirit. He is consuming fire. He is light. And he is love. And since we can't pick and choose that God is all four of these things. We can't just choose love and then define love as anything that we want it to be. Because we have to see it in all four of these dimensions. That God is all of these. That whatever love is placed in the essential being of God is love is then readily accepted by God because it isn't. Some people may argue, but... but doesn't love cover a multitude of sins? Pastor, doesn't it do that? And so you go back to our series in 1 Peter and you can listen to the message in chapter 4 when we cover that verse in verse 8. I'm not denying that God is love. God is love. But we also have to consider God is also spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is also a consuming fire. Let us be grateful. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. God is also light, and in Him is no darkness at all. That God does not condone sin. God exposes sin. He is light. God destroys sin. He's a consuming fire. God destroys it. God is spirit. He convicts the sinner and leads them to Jesus who saves the repentant sinner. God is love. So you see, we can't separate the dimensions of God. You can't just say God is love and leave everything else out. We can't separate God's love from God's spirit. God being a consuming fire. God being light. We can't just say God is love in every way possible without taking into consideration these other dimensions of who God is. So when we speak of something like justice, 
It is an expression of God's love, an expression of who God is. And we can't separate love from the other dimensions. When God judges, he judges in love. If God's judging is in love, then God's loving is in justice. So we can't separate the dimensions of who God is. If we truly desire justice, which we all do, we hunger for it, we desire it. We can't separate that God is also spirit, consuming fire, light, and love. One of the reasons we love is that God is love. God is also spirit, consuming fire, and light. Thank God he is all of these things because when we know that there is justice, which is something we all want, and then here's another reason, verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is how God showed his love directly to us through his only son, Jesus. The origin of love is in the very being of God. God is love. And the manifestation of love is in the coming of Jesus Christ. God personified. God showing humanity that he is indeed love. And it was done by God sending his only son into the world, Jesus, who has been with God the Father and the Spirit for eternity. Otherwise, how could he be sent? Jesus was sent into the world so humanity could see, could touch and hear and follow, observe Jesus, God in the flesh, and see what that God is love. Simply saying that God is love, one might be stuck in the abstract. But by God sending his only son, Jesus, into the world, God is love is no longer just this abstract saying, but it's a concrete fact. It's much easier to understand someone in the flesh in comparison to something that's abstract. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The way that people define love is just all over the board. The love can be a broken one, but it's still classified as love by some people. But the wonder of the love of God in the person of Jesus Christ is none of that ill and misdefined love that we're hearing all over the place. God expresses his love to our world through the giving, the agape of his son. God did this. God initiated love. We didn't convince him to love us. We didn't cause it. It was a free gift from God. The love we have for another human being is different in that it isn't without cause. We like something about the other person. There is something that causes the love for us, and it's like how they look, or it's their personality, or what they value, their qualities, their intelligence. There's, there's always a cause. Not so with God. There's no cause. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. 
you see that there's no cause. Verse 8, but it is because the Lord loves you. God loves because he loves. He is love. It's who God is. God is love. Continuing on with the verse, and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. We tend to love for reciprocation. You love me, I love you back. I love you, I expect you love me back. And it's not so with God. God loves because he is love. And whether you love him or not, he loves you. God's not responding to us with love. He loved first. He just loves. He initiated love for you and he just loves you. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You didn't even cause it. He just simply loves you. This is how the prophet Isaiah describes us in Isaiah 64, verse 6. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. But God initiated. He loved us first. He loves us even when we don't love him back. And he loves freely, no strings attached, unconditional, that we have it. Now, the question is, what are we going to do with it? Our love to God is a response to his love. It's, it's also a reflection of God's love. And any love we show is because God first initiated it with us. He sent his son. But then he didn't just stop there. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God sent his only son to be nailed to the cross for our sins. Jesus took our sins upon the cross. That he died in our place. Taking our judgment. John doesn't include this here just to teach us more theology. There's something really practical about Jesus dying on the cross for us. That there is a, a duty for us to love one another. Take a look at verse 11. Beloved, if, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There are no excuses as to why we can't love one another. There are no reasons as to why we can't love one another. We can disagree on a lot of things, and people are right now. It's all over. There's, there's so much division. There's so much argument. But we ought to love one another because God so loved us that he sent his only son to die on the cross for that person you currently do not love. There is so much arguing. There is so much division. And people ac accusing another of something or of being someone. It's happening even in our church. People dividing over politics. People dividing over policy. Dividing over all sorts of stuff. And what you need to do is you need to listen to the word of God. Because that guy is more crafty. And you need to discern between a spirit of 
God and the spirit of Antichrist. And all these divisions need to put, be put down because we ought to love one another. Before we talk to anyone about anything that we may be in disagreement with, before we bring anyone to anything that we're a part of, before we do anything, we ought to bring each other to the foot of the cross. Use that as your starting line. Start there, where Jesus died this unwarranted, unrepeatable, purposeful death to bear your sins and the sins of the person you are currently not in agreement with, who took both of our offenses upon himself, and whatever was done to you or whatever you did to someone else, Jesus took all of that upon himself. God so loved us. His only son, sacrificed for you and for me, for you and the person who offends you. So deep a love God has for us, we also ought to love one another. The division. It's going to kill the church. It's going to kill our relationships. Let's take a look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in, in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. How we should love one another. We love because God is love. It's who he is. We love because it's how God revealed himself in his son Jesus Christ. We love because it's how God reveals himself in his people. We ought to love one another. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and in his love is perfected in us. No one has ever seen God. But they did see Jesus Christ. And through Christ, we know what God is like. 
and can come to know God. Now some may say, well, Jesus ascended to heaven, so how do we come to know God now? Each other. We love one another. In love for one another, we will see God. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We're such a mixed bag of people. And some people, let's be honest, they're harder to love than others, right? There's just some really hard people to love. But it's this love for one another that is evidence of God being among us. People may see a lot of things about us. They can see that we're devoted to prayer. They can see that we praise God in our worship. They may see all the good works that we're doing in our community, in serving the homeless, in, in the social justice work that is being done. But the one thing that where God's love is perfected in us is when we love one another, especially when we disagree, especially when we're arguing and divided. If you are currently out of love with a brother or sister right now, and there's a lot of reason to be, there's a lot of injustice going on in the world. People are just not getting along with each other with the pandemic. I'm doing more marriage counseling now than when before the pandemic because married couples are just with each other so much and kids are with their parents so much. I'm doing like teenage and parent counseling. There is a lot of division. It's time to reconcile and to love one another. Not to get on your social media and tell someone how stupid they are to believe what they believe and that they're racist or that they're this or that they're that. Remember when Jesus said, if you call your brother a fool, what happens? There needs to be a change of heart. The church is where this all needs to be worked out. This has to be a safe sparring ring for us. And if we can't love each other here, how in the world are we going to love people out there? Jesus, before any political party. Jesus, before any cause. Jesus, before country. Jesus, before family. Jesus, before finances. Jesus, before anything. Because he's more crafty. And we need to discern what is of the Spirit and what is of the Antichrist. What is of the Spirit and what is of the flesh. Are you professing Jesus without love? Because if you are, you're being disobedient. We ought to love one another. And so... The call today is to get right with Jesus today. We must love one another because God is love. God revealed his love for us in Jesus, his only son, whom he sent to die for us. He died in our place. He took all of our judgment. God reveals his love through us to a broken world that really needs us to be who God called us to be. Love. Let's pray. God, you are love. But sometimes we forget 
who else you are. And that you are spirit. You are the one that works in our hearts and convicts us of our sin. And I pray, Lord, that if we are one of those people who have been calling our brothers and sisters fools, may we repent today. You are a consuming fire. You cannot put up with sin. You are light. You expose it. You don't hide it. And in you is the perfect discernment of what is of you in the spirit and what is of the Antichrist. We know that he is more crafty. You are love. God, how we need you today. Because in our chaotic world that is fearful and in pain, which are two really bad things to be in at the same time, how we need you. Because we have brothers and sisters who are just mudslinging at each other. We need your healing, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take out our communion elements. And for some, you might not be ready to do this because you're not at peace. You're not loving your brother and sister. So I encourage you to wait and deal with those things. But if you are ready, if you're postured for love, then I want to invite you to take that symbol of bread of Christ's body broken for you. To remember what Jesus did for us. To remember the evidence of God's love that he sent Jesus Christ for us. We take this in his name. Jesus didn't just come to be an example. He came to die for our sins. He bled. And so as you take the fruit of the vine as a symbol of Christ's blood spilled for us, that you are indeed reconciled with your brother and sister, that you're reconciled with God, who is love, May we take this together. Lord, how we yearn for your return. All this madness going on in our world. And since your scriptures are true, in the end days, things do not get better. May you give your church and your children ears to hear. May you give us spiritual discernment to know what is of your spirit and what is of the Antichrist. Because we know that he is crafty. But your children hear your voice. We recognize our shepherd and we flee from strangers. And so, Lord, during this time when we can be so easily divided because of justice or causes or whatever else that can cause these divisions, may we not lose love for one another 
because you are love. In Jesus' name, amen.